Good evening, my friends. It is Line by Line. My name is Pastor Josh Hawkins, and we are <clears throat> turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 today. So join us. It's gonna be um it's gonna be good. Let's pray and then we'll uh we'll we'll dive in. Hmm. Once again, Heavenly Father, we ask. Help us to draw near to you. You have already drawn near to us in your Son, Christ Jesus. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to quiet our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would bring a sense of stillness to us, and that you would unclog our ears, that you would drain away all of the noise of the day and give us Give us the grace to be able to listen. We set our attention upon you and we open our ears to you. Encourage us, rebuke us, Correct us, enlighten us, do all of the things that you promise to do. Empower us by planting imperishable seed within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be uh, starting tonight with verse 14. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 14 to the end. And then maybe a couple verses from verse 7, but I won't read those now. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Not not a, a ton of scriptures to go through, but a lot of stuff to unpack. Um, I had come into this uh, planning on kind of moving on into chapter 7, but the more I unpack chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, the more I realize we got a lot to do, so we, we may get to seven, um, but uh, 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 maybe not. <laughs> so um, we start right off the bat. Well, let's let's back up a little bit because we ended the last chapter with verse eleven, which says, "We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. 
opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. So Paul has been bouncing back and forth this whole letter between these kind of great teaching moments and also these moments of of uh, asking that their relationship between himself and his team and the Corinthian church to be restored um, and, 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 and repaired because there had been, you know, just some issues that had risen uh, because Paul had not gone back to Corinth when they expected him to. Um, and some others have come in and said some things about Paul that, um, first of all, weren't true. And second of all, weren't kind. Um, so uh, that's where we ended and when I get to when you get to verse fourteen, it almost feels a little jarring. At least to me, it did as as I was finishing up verse uh, verse thirteen. There, <clears throat> I felt this kind of this this jarring shift, and and I because because we go from open wide your hearts to us, and then we go to do not be yoked together with unbelievers, and I am always. There's there's room for for jarring transitions in the scriptures um, that happens, uh, but uh, you know where where Paul kind of goes in a separate direction than where he had been, um, but in this case I really felt like these two things should be more connected. Like like there's like he was in the middle of a thought and then it feels like he transitioned. And normally when I, when I kind of sense that, it's because I'm not looking at, at the verses I'm reading correctly. It's usually because uh, there's information I don't have or the way I'm reading it is, is messed up. And, and here he goes from this plea to open wide their hearts to his team to saying to them, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, uh, which we'll get to that verse in a second. But as you, th- but there is this, there is this reality that happens here with that he's talked about both in the last chapter and in this chapter as to how affected the Corinthian church is by the world in which it lives. Um, Corinth was kind of a party city, uh, and the Corinthian church was kind of a party church. And, and the whole first letter is, is very much about, Hey, that world that you live in is going to destroy you. If you let it in, if you let it infect the way you think and the way that you follow Christ and you need to be, you need to be stepping back and away and out of all of that stuff that is swirling around you all the time. And I think Paul is seeing the disconnection that that he's experiencing with the with the Corinthian, Corinthian church at this time as a symptom of the disease that he diagnosed in the first letter. Uh, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Um, I think that that he was calling it out in that first letter, 
And now he sees this kind of total shift and rejection that they've made of him. And what he sees is you're you're falling back towards the your pagan roots, where you came out of when you came to Christ. Don't do that. Remind yourself of what God has done for you. Stay connected with us. And um, he brings this this thing this word out. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, in other translations, this is this is translated unequally yoked, and I think that's a really that's that's a, a good translation. Uh, I think that the uh, New International uh, steals from us a, a little bit on in this yoked together idea because there is a word picture here in the Greek that we can't see in the English unless you actually say, well, like these words unequally yoked. This was a, this was a Greek idiom, which spoke of, of when, of, of two very, very different kinds of animals being put in the same yoke and trying to accomplish a purpose together. It doesn't work. So if you were to put an oxen, this big lumbering, but powerful animal, uh, in a yoke with a thoroughbred, you know, an animal meant for speed, uh, uh, they they would be at cross purposes with each other. They wouldn't be able to team up very well together because they're very different from one another. Down to the to the base of what they are, they 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 do not operate the same way. And. He's saying, and, and, you know, there's this, we don't, we don't use yokes a lot. Uh, uh, you know, that's not a thing that, that we have a lot of connection to, but they would have then because these, these yokes are, are built, um, to, to partner two animals together and to en enable them to work together for the same purpose. And when you have two animals that are just mismatched, they just don't belong together. Um, it, it would be a foolish thing to, to, to put an ox and a horse in the same yoke. Um, they don't, you know, they're different sizes from one another. They are, they have different skills. They are bred for different purposes. And so it doesn't make sense to put them in the same yoke. They are, they would fight against each other all the time. And so, and that's the picture here when he says, unequally yoked now i want to i want to bring bring it out um what most of us i think in the american church immediately go to uh when we read this verse is the the idea that that a christian should not be married to someone who is not a follower of jesus christ we go there right away because that's we've heard that this this phrase unequally yoked um, used in that context. You know, when I was a teenager, um, I was always told that this verse was always used to tell me why I shouldn't be dating girls who didn't love Jesus. Right. And, um, and, and the, this verse certainly applies to that, uh, to, to that idea. Sure. Um, but, uh, but it's a much, it's much broader than that. And it speaks to any uh, any situation that of of partnership, 
or of um, attempting to accomplish a purpose together. Uh, it is, when you think of a yoke, um, you know, uh, th- these are two, two creatures that are, that are working in tandem. Um, and it's that connectedness that's the problem. Now, Paul would not have said, don't spend time with unbelievers. Uh, he had no problem with that. And both Paul and Jesus tell us that we should be spending time with people that don't believe as we do. Um, but there is a difference here. Don't be yoked to them. It's one thing, you you know, you're that you're connected to each other in, in one way. Maybe you're friends. Maybe, you know, you work in the same office. Um, but in this, this idea, this picture of, of yokedness has to do with a connection that is more intimate, a connection that is more... Um, uh, has more to do with how we influence one another. Now, everyone that you are in a relationship with is going to influence you in some way or another. But this is a deep level of influence. Two animals that are in a yoke have to move in the same direction or else they're harming one another. If one tries to go one way and one tries to go another, it's going to it's all going to be screwed up. Um they may actually break the yoke. They may hurt one another. One may drag the other in another direction. It's it is it is not it's not a good thing for them to be in the same yoke when they're trying to do two very different things or the same thing in two very different ways. Uh, and Paul said Paul is saying you aren't yoked to me right now. Don't be, don't yoke yourself with an unbeliever. Okay. So that's where he's, that's what the last verse was about was, was open wide your heart to me. Yoke yourself with me. Let's be partners in your spiritual growth, in the growth of the kingdom in your region, in, 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 in your being transformed into the image of Christ. We're supposed to be yoked together in that way. We're supposed to be partners in that. Um, and yet you're more connected with the unbelievers that are near you than you are with us, with the people who brought you into the kingdom in the first place. And this brings us to the most important takeaway from this verse for us in the church right now, today. And that is this. We are often, often, um, we will find the church yoked with worldly ideas, worldly purposes, worldly realities. <coughs> Forgive me. We find we find the church wedded, reliant upon um, uh, unbelieving stuff. Okay, so what what, I, what do I mean by that? I mean that whenever the church is excited about a political party or another or a, uh, a uh, any other form of power, when the church has wedded itself to the systems of, of financial power in, in our world, when the church has wedded itself to the systems of of uh, of 
commercial and capitalistic power in the world. These are all systems that are fully formed and fully operational in our universe, in our world that we live in. And the church in so many ways should operate uh, opposed to those systems. And yet in so many situations, we find the church buying into and connecting itself with and yoking itself with political power, with financial and, um, and commercial power, with uh, things like, you know, the youth and beauty culture, the, uh, the, the, you know, those kinds of things. And they might not go so far, you know, we have this church celebrity culture that exists in our world. It, to my mind, all of those things, all of those things have are, are ways in which the church has become mismatched. It's become yoked with something that doesn't match with it. Jesus talked about this when he was before Pontius Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight to uh, to to see me set free. What did Jesus mean by that? You see, Pilate understood only one way of that authority could work in the universe, and that was through force. And Jesus was saying, "No, my kingdom doesn't work that way. My kingdom uh, is 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 doesn't use a sword to accomplish what it wants to accomplish." You know, my kingdom doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't step into coercive power. My kingdom operates in an entirely different way to put the kingdom of God and coercive power in the same yoke would be to would is going to corrupt one and 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 empower the other. It's not it doesn't work like that. And all so to put capital uh, to put. Consumerism, I mean to say, not capitalism, but consumerism and the church together in the same yoke. It's it's destructive to the church to put uh, to put political power in the same yoke with the church. It's destructive to the church to put uh, um, uh, uh, financial uh the financial system and the way our financial system works in the world together with the church in the same yoke, these, these, they're destructive to one another. Now, does that mean the church should be absent from the political realm or from the consumer realm or from the, no, the church should be present, but not partnered. So does that mean Christians, so Christians can run for office? Great. Please do for goodness sake. But, but the church doesn't, ally itself with political power. We're to be salt and light in the world, but we aren't to be turned aside and 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 distracted and pulled away. That's that's not possible for us. Um,
where was I? We have to constantly be careful to watch and pay attention to where how, how we're yoked and uh, what we've connected ourselves to. Uh, uh, what have we stepped into alignment with um, that, uh, that, that may or may not be uh, uh, a yoking that we want that we do not want? We, this is where discernment is necessary. Discernment is always necessary. And we need to always be asking the question, have I yoked myself with something that is that 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 is going to be that is going to turn me in a direction that I do not want to go. We have to watch for that. We have to be careful of it. And Paul is saying, "Come and be yoked with me." the The picture that we've used on this uh, Bible study so many times, we even last time is of this dance that Jesus is calling us to, this dance, that, that, that this way that we move and walk and operate together. Um, that, that dance, that, that, that cooperation is, is being yoked with Christ, okay? Where, where we're standing in alignment with, in connection with, that we're joining our power to the power of Jesus and that we're moving forward and getting this stuff done. Jesus, Jesus said it. Jesus said, you know, come to me, all you who are weary, take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. That's the yoke we belong in. We belong in a yoke with Christ. We don't belong in a yoke with unbelievers. And we should not, we should not trust those power structures, those ideas, those ways of being in the world. Um, there's nothing inherently evil ab about politics. It exists. It is what it is. But the way politics works doesn't align with the kingdom. There's nothing inherently wrong with financial systems. But the way financial systems work, they can't be how the kingdom operates. The kingdom should be affecting those things and not the other way around. And, and when we inhabit the Jesus way in financial situations, in political situations, in, um, in, in all of these other kind of places, uh, it, it, when we're yoked with Christ in those, in those arenas, then we're bringing the kingdom to the earth. But when we yoke with those things, okay, I think most, I mean, the, the, the biggest one, the most powerful example of this is the way that the church, about 300 years after Christ, uh, wedded itself to the power of the Roman Empire. Um, and, and that was just the first time that we did that. We've done that many, many times to the point where the church became a tool for politics sake. And guys, we have so done that <laughs> in this current age. This is not, uh, it, it, it's, it's not okay. Um, I, I am all for, and I will 100% of the time stand for Christ's values. I will vote for Christ's values. I will talk about Christ's values in the political realm, etc. I'm all in 100%. But... 
I will not ever. There will never be a, po- a politician speaking from the stage at Fremont Community Church. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. There will never be, I will never uh, stand in the pulpit of Fremont Community Church and tell people how to vote. Why? Because I can preach all day about issues and the way Jesus feels about human beings. I am absolutely called to do that. What I am not called to do is to lend any kind of kingdom influence to a political position. Does that make sense? Uh <clears throat> And I understand there are people that are going to completely disagree with me about this. And that's fine. We can have a conversation about it. But but I cannot, I cannot be yoked together with that. I also, I have seen and heard and been trained to, uh, to, to yoke myself with systems of this world when it comes to when it comes to um, uh, commercial systems, how do we, how, oh man, and this is so hard. This is something I wrestle with all the time. Um, how, how does a church market itself to the world? Do I think, ah, it's so hard for me and it makes me itchy all over. Um, boy, it really does. Because I don't want to be yoked. There has crept into the church over the last 40 years this consumerist mindset um, that I I need to uh, that that we don't need we don't make a commitment to each other. We make uh, we we find a church that's right for us. Um, and that's fine. Oh man, see, this is where it all gets sticky because I don't have a problem when, if you're moving to a new area, finding a church that works for you. But if you are come, if you have been, if you're a part of a body of Christ and you're committed to that body of Christ, um, you, I don't feel like you get to go shopping for a new church because they didn't sing the song that you wanted them to sing or, you know, the pastor's jeans were not appreciate i didn't you know something like that that feels and 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 there have been churches which have realized that that's the way people operate that they're constantly looking for the new and the trendy and the and the exciting and the whatever and so they have built their churches and the, the experience of their church to be um uh uh more more attractive to the people who are church shoppers, the people that are kind of bouncing around from one church to another all the time, the people that, that, that don't sit and commit and, 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 and connect deeply with one body. They have, they have become this, this commercial version of when a church becomes wedded to the way that the world wants to make a church attractive or anything else attractive. When the church becomes a business or takes on a business model, man, all of that scares me. It all scares me. When the church hires the way the world hires, when the church fires the way the word church the world fires, when the church does any of that stuff, 
Now, you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube. Um, so, you know, and and yeah, we put stuff out there. I, I don't know where the line is drawn, and I don't know how... Ooh, I, pray for me. Because I, I, I worry about it every time that we put an advertisement on, on one, of these, one of these places. Boy, am I unequally yoking with something that's actually antichrist. Um, I hope not. I really do. Okay, let's let's move on because I think I've harped on that for long enough. Um, <laughs> uh, Paul then moves into this uh, to these three one four uh, four places of contrast between um, between different things uh, that 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 help to illustrate the idea of how of how it, it we cannot attempt to be yoked um, in, in 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 a in this way so he says what do righteousness and wickedness have in common what fellowship can light have with darkness what harmony is there between Christ and Belial what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever okay so um I just want to I just want to connect just kind of touch on those quickly to help illustrate what I'm talking about a little bit further the the word here, when it says have in common, that, that word in the Greek is an interesting word. It's, it's partnership, um, sh- sharing partnership. What partnership can righteousness have with wickedness? Can And, and those are two interesting words, too, because the word righteousness there is justice. And the word wickedness is lawlessness. So what partnership can justice and lawlessness have with one another? Uh, and I think about, you know, everybody's favorite is the Suicide Squad, right? I, I, I don't, it's not my favorite, but a lot of people love that. This kind of anti-hero idea of a flawed hero who's got a heart of gold, but on the outside he's a bad boy, right? And Paul would say, it doesn't work. Um, these things really can't. Uh, have a partnership with one another um the the uh it it doesn't work for lawlessness to try and operate alongside justice they want diametrically opposed things they want two very different things and and the church the kingdom of heaven those of us who are apprenticed to christ who are imitators of christ we want something radically opposite of what the of what the world wants of what unbelievers want and you might not think that that's true but it really is and the more we're discipled into Christ the more the more sharply thing the contrast stands out that man we we really just don't want the same things um and we have to we have to remember that and we have to take it on and i heard uh i heard one of my favorite theologians chris green um uh, a while back talk about the difference between the demonic and the satanic and this is really good he said uh the demonic 
is just straight up evil. It's just bad. It's it's obviously evil. It's dark. It's twisted. It's it's ugly. It's obvious evil. There's no question about it. He said, and that's one thing and that's out there in the world. But then there's the satanic. And the satanic is different. And why is it different? Because the satanic is evil, but it's trying to look like good. It is comes as an angel of light, as Paul would say. The satanic dresses up in the robes of good, but is actually evil at its core. And I remember back in... Um, in uh, 2016, 2017, maybe maybe it was 2019. Anyway, I'm sure I have a, the date written down. But it was during a uh, uh, an election year like the one that we are embarking on right now. And I had a dream. <coughs> and in the dream, there was this... This... Uh, there was this two two-faced demon okay and one side of him was was bright red and um and had you know one had had red face red clothes everything and the other side of him was bright blue blue face blue clothes everything and he was standing on a pedestal and and both faces were 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 speaking out speaking convincing and interesting things and 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 stirring and and stirring things things that made you want to listen and uh and people were were running over and bowing down and the these were they were christians that were running over and bowing down and i saw i saw christians a bunch of christians bowing down on on both sides of this team of this demon uh like and facing one of the two faces and listening to one of the two faces and and bowing down and i also saw the 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 people who were bowing down to this thing looking up across the way at the people that were bowing down to the other face and they had these the the they had such hatred and animosity towards the people bowing down to the other face. And they had such uh, shock and disbelief. How could they bow down to that thing? Um, and on both, on, on, on both sides, we had, we had people on both sides and they were, they were doing the same thing. Both of them were bowing down to this thing. And both of them, but one face or the other, and both of them were shocked and appalled and hurt and angry at the people that were bowing down to the other face. And I'm I'm watching all of that, and and then I was in it. I was one of them, and I was bowing down to the 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 red face, and uh, uh, in the dream, I I looked up. And I looked at the at the thing and I noticed for the first time that this thing had two faces. Um, and and I and I looked around uh, and I saw over to the side 
Jesus was standing in another place. And Jesus and people were going over and talking and, and, and worshiping Jesus too. Um, but some of those people were leaving Jesus and coming over to bow down to the two-faced thing. Um, but I realized that I had thought that the this red-faced demon was Jesus. And so, and that was the end of the dream. And, and I realized um, that, you know, at the, at the time I, I really had, I was spending a lot of time um, thinking about politics and thinking about, uh, about, about all of, all of the things that the whole world at the time was wrapped up in. And, uh, and, I was bowing down to this thing and the red face is the, it's the Republican party and the blue face is the democratic party. And, and this is what we've done, you know, and I had left behind the Lord to bow down to one of these faces. Oh, the other thing in the dream was once I saw, once I could see that, uh, that, that this thing, um, I could also see that it was just delighted by the fact that it was fooling all of us, like that it was just laughing at us all, um, that we that we were buying into its lies, and it was two faces of the same demon. I, I, we had been pulled away from Christ to bow down to this ungodly thing that had stolen our. Our sight stolen, our love stolen, our attention um, that really belonged to the Lord. And man, that dream shook me. Um, and, and, and I, yeah, it must have been 2016. It had to have been. Um, and I, I just said, I'm never going to do that again. I'm just, I'm, I, and, and that to me is this whole idea um of of the unequally of the unequal yoking um and why do i say that because the final the final one he says the fi- the fourth uh um contrast that he makes is what agreement is there between the temple of god and of idols okay so now he's changed this the picture a bit from a yoking together to a different question. Um, what are you built around? What's living in your heart? Because he says, we are the temple of the living God. What are we gathering around? What are we coming to crowd around and gather around? What is at the center of our connection to each other? Uh, this picture of us being built together into a temple of living stones. It's in several places throughout the scriptures of the church being a house that is built of living stones, that the presence of God, the spirit of God may dwell in it. And he, here Paul is saying, we are, we, not not me, not you, we together are the temple of the living God. And the question here is, what has, what are we built around? 
what is the center of our connection to each other? What is the place? What is the thing at the middle of our of 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 our edifice? The thing we're all gathered around. Are we gathered around Christ, around the living God, or are we gathered around something else? Um, when I read this, I thought about the, you know, when I wrote this, what's living in your heart? Your heart and your gathering have been, have been folded, they've been, they've been put together around a central thing. Around a thing that is that that is alive and 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 active in the center of 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 your house, the center of your family, in the center of your church, and if it is Jesus in the center of the church, then we are the church of Jesus, and He will dwell within us. But if there's anything else in the center, including a pastor a denomination, a, a set of ideals, anything else. If there's anything else in the center of that church, it's not the church of Christ. It is the church of an idol. And that church is bowing down, not to Jesus, but to something else. We are a house made for God. Would we allow, would we, would you and I be okay with a, uh, with, with, um, a, a, a Buddhist bringing, bringing in a, a little, a little Buddha and setting it on the altar in our church? Um, or some kind of idol worshiper bringing in, you know, a little image of its God and placing that on our, on our, on our altar of our church, you know, we have a, we have a cross in the center of our, of our stage and, and, and that's exactly where it belongs. Um, and would we put anything else there? Um, I've actually made some people a little angry with me in the past because I've been asked, will you put, uh, if I buy you an American flag, will you put it on the stage? And I said, no, I won't. Um, and the reason I won't do that is because we're not the Church of the United States of America. We are the Church of Jesus Christ. And, and we're putting a cross there because Jesus is the center of our fellowship with one another. I am so grateful to be an American. I'm so grateful that I was born in this great nation. And I want to wash the feet of the United States of America, but I will not worship the United States of America, and therefore I will not put a United States flag on my stage. Um, that's why I think it's uh, it's not okay. Just like I wouldn't put anything, any other symbols or flags on my stage. I, the only symbol that belongs there is the symbol of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. What's living in your heart? What's in your wallet, right? <laughs> What's living in your heart? What's at the center of you? What's at the center of what you want? Of where of your desires? What's shaping the desires of your heart? What's shaping the things that you love 
and the things that you that you are excited about. Um, and then Paul says, "What he says, we are the temple of the living God, as God has said." And then he quotes from about five different scriptures. Um, but the way Paul quotes scripture is so different than the way do, we do. You know, he, uh, we always say like, "And let me quote from Second Corinthians chapter six, verse da da da." Well, Paul, and I'm assuming this is how they did this a lot in his synagogue or whatever, quotes little scraps of verses all together as if they were all one verse. Like in this case, um, he's quoting from, uh, let's see, he's quoting from, sorry about that. In this case, he is quoting from uh, Leviticus, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel and Isaiah, and then Ezekiel again. So, <laughs> but he is quoting, he's saying, it's God's stated intention that he would, that his people would be the temple of the living God. He says, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I'm going to read that again because... If you think about this for more than just a few seconds, if you think about the commitment that's here, if you think about the one who is speaking it, think about who it is that is saying this and what it means that he would say this and the commitment that he's made in saying this. It is, uh, it's a powerful thing, and I, and I want to live with it in my heart. I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is God's stated intention for you. This is God's desire and his design for you and me, for his church. Hear me. And the, why do I know that? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the age, in Revelate, at the end of Revelation, what does it say? It says these things. This is what God has been all about from the beginning, and this is what God wants. This is his desire. This is what he's working towards. This is why he saved your soul. Because this is what he wants. And this is what he wants the church to become. This is our destiny. It's our purpose. I will, I, it's the Lord God, creator of the universe. I will live with them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will live with them. <laughs> Seriously, this... 
for God to live with us. Just think for a minute about what this looks like. This is God's heart. This is what God wants. This is God's desire. And this is what he's working towards. And when he's done with all that he's doing, this will be the reality. God will live with us. God will walk among us. God will be our God. And we, you and me, will be his people. This is the burning fire at the center of God's heart. This is what he wants. This is what he is pressing towards. And this is why he says, therefore, because that's what God wants, because that's what God's doing. Therefore, and he quotes two more scriptures, come out from them and be separate. Okay, therefore, come out from them and be separate. Be something else. Don't be like them. Don't yoke with them. Don't ally yourself with the powers of this world. Be something radically different. Be something so completely other. Be alien to this world. Be separate. I didn't look up the Hebrew meaning of that word. Maybe I should have. Separate because it's origin it, it was originally in the Hebrew. Come out from them and be separate. But the Greek here means to mark off by boundaries, to be set apart. So the Hebrew probably is the same word for like that's used for and again I, I i shouldn't say that because i don't know i don't know what the greek is or what the hebrew is you know what let's find out why not let's find out should we find out um since so we're gonna do this live we're gonna do this right now i usually like to look this kind of stuff up um beforehand uh but uh but let's do this live all right so that was from uh, Isaiah 52. What's Isaiah 52, 11, it says. We're going to look this up on the internet. I know this is probably thrilling uh, watching right now. Um, boy, that's interesting. All right, so I'm opening that up in BibleHub.com. It's my favorite. And then I go to... If you go to the um, to the one of the ones one of the versions that has the word Strong's in front of it, then every word you hover over will give you the the go out of the midst of her, purify yourselves. Oh, I wonder if. I misread that. It said it was Isaiah 52, but that doesn't seem right to me. Well, let's go back. Maybe I uh, went to the wrong one. Maybe that's the Ezekiel passage. Ezekiel 37. 
<sighs> to walk amongst yourselves. I want to know what this word separate means. I think it's an interesting thing, and I want to know what it means. Be separate. Ezekiel thirty seven twenty seven. Ah, no, no, no. Boy, that doesn't seem right. Oh, that's why, because I'm in the wrong chapter. Oops. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> oh, I looked up the wrong verse. Ezekiel twenty thirty four. <laughs> Okay, I don't know. It doesn't look right. Um, I, I'll have to do a little more study on that because there's a whole lot going on there. Um, and I'm just... Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. So God wants us to be different. He wants us to be radically different than the rest of the world. He wants us to be noticeably different from the rest of the world. He wants us to want different things than the rest of the world wants and to operate according to different rules than the rest of the world operates by. He wants us to care and about diff about things that the uh, different things than the what the world cares about. He wants us to pursue and uh, to pursue the things he wants. And as we do that, as we do that, he will come and he will fill us and he will make himself known to us. Verse 18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, my friends. This is the promise of God. As we pursue the things that he loves, and as we disentangle ourselves from the ways of the world, God will, will be a father to us. He will show us his love. He will give us his provision, and he will lead us. He will be our father, and we will be his sons and daughters. And I am going to do verse 1 of chapter 7 real quickly, because I think it's more connected to this than it is the next chapter. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, 
perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So here is the place where we live. We don't want to be yoked with anything that doesn't, we, you know, that's not with the Lord. We want to be cleansed from those things which aren't, you know, which are not of the Lord. We want to be, we, we let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness. We need to learn how to be holy, not out of fear, but out of reverence because we love him and because we want to be a place and a people that the Lord sees fit to dwell within. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be the a people that the Lord loves to live with. All right, that's it for tonight. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Father, you've commanded us not to be yoked with unbelievers. You've called us to righteousness and holiness, to separateness, to belong only to you, to be dedicated only to you. To be set apart for you. Lord, my prayer is that you would help us to do that. Lord, draw the dividing lines in our hearts. Highlight the ways and the, the, the ways in, in which we have yoked ourselves to the world, the ways in which we have allowed impurity to creep in to our hearts. Lord, teach us what it means to be holy out of reverence for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you, friends. God bless you. Have an amazing day.